this is Graham Lynch. Welcome to Poms Day Live, our podcast. Um, we've got our big annual show coming up soon, the Comms Day Summit, and the diamond sponsor this year is Focus. Uh, CEO Ellie Sweeney will be speaking at 9am on Tuesday the 2nd of May at our event, while Chief Executive Enterprise and Government Andrew Wildblood will be speaking at 12.40 on the 3rd of May. Now, uh, anticipating uh, their appearances, I caught up with Andrew uh, to have a bit of a chat about what they'll be talking about. And the big, big theme of focus this year, which is interesting, is they're, they're talking about this concept of having a network that covers land, sea, and space. So first up, I asked Andrew about the land aspect of that, and specifically uh, a cable they're working on in Western Australia called Project Horizon. And I asked Andrew where that's at in terms of development. Yeah, the Project Horizon Cable is a really exciting project. It's been many years in the making, and it's a 2,000-kilometre high-capacity fibre-optic cable that will go from Geraldton uh, through um, Mekathara, Mount Newman, up through to um, Port Hedland. So effectively, it goes through um, the iron ore heartland, the resources heartland of Australia. And obviously, for Australia, there's uh, 3% of the GDP generated out of that region through through iron ore. So um that that is for us is an 800 kilometer build and we work with fmg in the north and arna in the south to kind of take access to to, to their fibers to to then build the gap between the two and create um a loop um uh, for 2000 kilometers so this is the first new long-haul fiber built in that region for probably 30 years so um for us what it gives us is you know access to um key customers particularly in the resource sector but also in government defence communities along the way uh, to the latest, you know, high capacity fibre optic cables. And it, it's going to give, it's not just about that cable in itself, but it's that cable in addition to the subsea cable we build from Port Hedland across to our ASC cable that goes then up and, and also goes up over the top on our northwest cable. So when you start to think about the northwest of Australia, which has very interesting economic um, development possibilities we're seeing it in darwin you're seeing it in continued growth in 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 the northwest and in in sort of port headland uh region that mining heartland then you're now starting to see diversity in and out of those regions either as a prime provider of the of the carriage or for diversity you can now get options to go down to perth um via the sea or inland or up to Singapore to access high-capacity compute. So you, you, the use cases really um, are coming out due to the architecture of the overall network on land and sea. Okay, so you, you just mentioned the sub-cable there. Yeah. Um, now that that's connecting Darwin, Jakarta, and Singapore. Yeah. Where are we at in terms of progress of that? And, and what what would that mean? Not not just for the users in the northwest of Australia, but for Australia overall. Yeah, we, we're very close. The ship's almost completed the the lay of that of that cable that that really goes from our ASC cable across through the Scarborough gas platform, which is important for connectivity to to develop that that region as well, and on to Singapore and on to and on to Port Hedland. And at Port Hedland, then you've got the Northwest cable. The Northwest cable's been in operation for a number of years, and the Singapore cable's been in operation since 2016. So it's linking that together. So then you can see Darwin goes. Traffic can go from Darwin down, pick up pick up our newly built cable and across and up to Singapore. So it's the first time that Darwin 
as being connected by uh, an international cable other than uh, the first telegraph cable, which was obviously built over 100 and something year, 50 years ago, but more traffic will pass over, or capacity and traffic will pass over our network in the first day than ever did in the life of that cable, right? So it's sort of, that's the way we, you know, we look at it. And, um, and therefore you're going to get the opportunity for what's important for Australia. Well, there's a number of things that are important for Australia. One, the GDP that comes with, um, with the resource sector up there. Secondly, first line of defense in Darwin, obviously Darwin strategically important for Australia's defense up into the, into the Pacific. So being able to provide high capacity networks for, um, for military, uh, but also um, we're seeing in Darwin, a progressive uh, government in the Northern Territory who've given up land to enable data centers to be built because they can see an opportunity with abundant um, power, solar, uh, and land, uh, and now international connectivity for a potential uh, data center market in Northern Territory that allows um, consideration of hyperscalers to locate there, but also a safer housing of data away from um, Southeast Asia. So that that kind of ecosystem development of 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 the of Darwin for a number of use cases is where we're where we're seeing the demand. Oh. Okay, now we also mentioned space in the preamble yeah. to this interview, and Focus has been doing some really interesting things, particularly in the LeoSat space. Can yeah. you can you tell us a bit more about those activities and what that actually means? You know, for, for some of those customers you were describing, you know, in places yeah. like the northwest of Australia. Yeah, so so the LeoSat is is one of the most exciting developments I think we've seen in the industry for some time, and it's not that it that it. Um, replaces fiber it complements fiber uh, you know now you've got 100 percent coverage with starlink across across australia and um you know it's known that we've been building ground base stations uh sitting on top of our infrastructure because obviously the leos have to communicate to the ground and then carries out across terrestrial and submarine um networks so uh the use cases are unbelievable uh you know last week i was in um Queensland, and I spoke to one of the biggest uh, producers of uh, of Wagyu beef, 60 head of cattle, as an example. And they've never been able to solve for problems of massive coverage of land and not being able to identify where water sources are or where all of their cattle are. But now you can sort of say, rather than a jackaroo or a jillaroo going on a motorbike for eight hours around perimeter fences looking if there's dead cows, you can now kind of put cameras up in places because you've now got coverage. So simple agricultural applications, then satellite on the move. So we've seen work health and safety opportunities with um, with emergency services, you know, fire, ambulance, police to be able to connect vehicles, obvious applications in remote and regional communities for, for coverage. Schools, you know, working with Northern Territory government on potential applications into education and then opening up um, communication to uh, remote communities who've really struggled with either the economics of providing coverage or coverage itself. So um, we're amazed by how many use cases there are. Uh, it's the it's the bandwidth, the latency and the price point that has changed how it's been considered versus Geosat historically very expensive, um, more subject to latency challenges, more impact via weather situations that that meant it was prohibitive to solve issues. It 
there was often coverage, but you couldn't solve all of the problems because of those those challenges. So we're seeing um, use cases emerge in every industry, and we've seen lots of customers at the moment doing proof of concepts and going, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to put it on a vehicle. I'm going to get. I'm going to test it. We know that um, in West Australia, uh, we've had some vehicles that have travelled from Perth up to um, Pennant Creek or Perth up to Exmouth, which is basically a return trip of 5,000 kilometers and they've had 100 meg uh, performance with only one minute one minute of time dropped in that entire journey. That is completely game changing, you can imagine, right? So so it's it, it, it provides multiple opportunities for uh, new connectivity, solving work health and safety, productivity and backup. So we've even seen some of the banks come to us and say, hey, we want to try it for um, backup services to our regional um, banks uh, and buildings. And, you know, the, the, the largest single buyer so far, it comes in a strange uh, location. It's my uh, my council, Northern Beaches Council in Sydney. Yes, they, they're, yes. they're the first buyer of, of it in volume at, you know, 39 units. And what are they using it for? They're using it for um, surf clubs. They're using it for adverse weather effects. So keeping them in the event that, you know, you, you lose communication through adverse weather. Uh, and um, and community centres and childcare centres where they've struggled to get good connectivity in other ways. So um, it's not just regional and totally remote. It is uh, also metro applications as well. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Now to change the subject slightly, um, there's been a lot of buzz in the tech sector uh, recently about artificial intelligence. You know, obviously we've got ChatGBT, um, we, we've got Google playing in that space. We've got Bing playing in that space. We've got even Elon Musk talking about a play there now. What what impact are you seeing in the telco sector from AI? Is it something that's coming up on your radar in terms of what you do day to day and the customers that you deal with? Look, I think AI, where is AI going to be useful? I think, you know, we're starting to see clear applications emerge in document writing or or intelligent responses back to customers that could be in a customer service environment or it could be um, it could be in a um, you know repeatable uh, processing uh, you know I was talking to someone the other day at Gartner uh, and they were suggesting that they'd they'd use ChatGBT to write a, a proposal to a customer and it was almost about 95% right so it's not quite there yet but but it's getting to the point where it's accurate for um you know for com- for commercial use um i think the other area is customer experience and customer service and interestingly in our environment and in many many organizations i'm sure it's coding so i think there's been this software development lack of resource and skill set and now you're starting to see chat be able to do coding uh, for you which well, what's the benefit of that? The benefit of that, you should be able to speed up, you know, product releases and um, capability solve, so solving productivity challenges or technical technical challenges. So the use cases are fairly vast, you know, from a telecoms operator perspective, you know, we're now starting to look to see where, where it can add value for us as an organization. But we're at the starting gate of that. We, we kind of only just um, thinking about where the use cases are. Uh, I can see clear use cases in, in say, a sales environment for getting better intelligence on your customer or responding to customers in a more um, intelligent and consistent way. I was um, 
talking to Gartner today and they were they were telling me about they'd been to a conference with Google and Microsoft talking about the intelligence of meetings. So um, in in very available now in technology, but not too distant will be uh, commercial use, you know, transcripts, which I think we already there are transcripts, but a meeting uh, on uh, on a you know on a on a Google or or on Zoom or on um, Microsoft, in which it's it's translating what it hears. It provides at the end of the meeting the script of the meeting. It also um, highlights the key points and decision decisions and actions, and it presents you with it presents you with um, an agenda for the next meeting. I mean that is that's light years away from 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 how we've been running meetings today where you kind of go well who's got the actions what's the next thing so it's kind of that that recording and capability and all of it of course requires um good access to to compute power good access to network to help to be able to to enable it um so for us as an operator there's the there's the the requirement to to be able to provide highly secured networks but from a use case i think every industry has uh, use cases um, they can look at medical profession diagnosis, um, legal and legal advice, uh, you know, as I said, proposal uh, writing, education is clear. Um, and, I, you know, sometimes you go, well, are you worried about what it does to jobs? I think for the knowledge worker, if the knowledge worker, you know, gets to understand it and use it, there's going to be great benefit. Um, but clearly there'll be there will will be certain tasks which can be done quicker, more efficiently uh, using AI and ChatGPT and and its uh, generative kind of AI in the future. Okay. Now, for listeners um, who want to hear Andrew expanding upon some of those themes that we just discussed, um, Andrew, you'll be speaking at the Comms Day Summit um, Wednesday, May the third at twelve forty p.m. We're looking forward to having you there. I am absolutely looking forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be great, um, and I think. Yeah, we're going to share a few of our ideas. We're going to share a little bit about, um, you know, where we see the industry going with our investments, but also what's the impact to the economy and to the sec- segments of customers that we serve today. Terrific. Okay. And, um, of course, um, uh, Focus, the CEO, Ellie Sweeney, will also be speaking at the Comms Day Summit the day before, Tuesday, May the 2nd um, at 9 a.m. So if you come into the Comms Day Summit, Make sure you clear your diary and don't miss Ellie and don't miss Andrew. We'll see you there, Andrew. Thank you.